This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name is Andrew Graham, and I'm joined today with Emily Joan Elliott, as I was last week. Emily, how are you doing? Good, good. And I'm also here with Eli's Al Jackson, formerly Al Hargrave, and that is because Al in the past, was it two weeks ago or yeah, last week, got married. So congrats, Al. Thank and you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, today, we're going to talk about the city attorney search in East Lansing, which wrapped up, I believe, sort of officially on March 17th. We can get into why that is sort of official and not quite finalized yet later on. But one of the first things I wanted to do talking about this is how the whole process took, I think we were just talking before we started recording, about seven months. And I don't think when any of us heard that council is going to renegotiate a contract with Foster Swift slightly before Al's time here, that seven months later they'd have two new city attorneys. So that's kind of why we're here. (laughs) Right. It was the length of the process and the fact that they divided the city attorney position into two or I think two major changes or shockers, at least for the reporting team. Oh, yeah. And so to give a quick, I'll just go through a quick timeline recap here to sort of get us up to the Foster Swift renegotiation. So in July of 2020, council voted 3-2 to terminate the contract with Tom Yaden and the McGinty firm. That, of course, led to the resignations of Ruth Byer and Mark Meadows from council kicked off that whole palabra. And then by October 1st, 2020, Foster Swift was starting as city attorney. They had a, their contract was approved in late September. So they got a $500,000 cost cap contract that ran until October 1st, 2021. And so that takes us to July of 2021, where council goes to try and renegotiate a new deal with Foster Swift. And I'm going to ask you, Emily, since you were around, I know the idea with Foster Swift and kind of it was give it a year, see how things go. And then if we're happy, we'll try and get another deal. And so it's kind of, I guess, to jump back to that, the city was pretty okay with the work Foster Swift was doing. There were assuredly things that could have been better and assuredly things that had gone well. But it seemed like the city was pretty intent on bringing back Foster Swift for another contract. And then so far as we can tell... The issue was just they came in at different costs. So I guess just to rack your brain for a moment, did you we all kind of expected that Foster Swift was just going to be back as the city attorney. Was that kind of where you were at? That was my thought, because my understanding, too, is the McGinty firm, which has a longer name and Yaden was part of it. I shortened it to McGinty because I. Yeah, there's, I think, three or four names there. nerd. (laughs) Yaden was part of that. And I think the McGinty firm held the contract for decades with the city. So I think in our minds... Basically a human lifetime. Right. We have in mind this idea of longevity. I think as reporters, we had moments of frustration with Foster Swift and FOIA requests. But from the city standpoint, I don't think there were major frustrations or hurdles there was the issue too where the contract was for a year and then the new contract wasn't renegotiated so there was no price cap as well so i don't know how that factored into it but finances did seem to 
rule the decision about yeah. moving on to a different law firm. Yeah, I remember it was council members Jesse Gregg and Dana Watson yes. who were negotiating the sort of preliminary contract. And I asked Jesse at the time what the issue was, and it was basically the price city council was sort of coming in at to pay was just off from where Foster Swift was at, and they just weren't coming together. I kind of took that to mean that Foster Swift was asking for more money than they had been paid in the first year because I can't imagine the city was coming back and I'm guessing the city's starting point was we would like to sign the exact same contract but maybe over a three-year term or something Mm -hmm. like that. So it seems that the issue was basically that Foster Swift came back and wanted more money. And so that gets us to August is when we find out that Foster Swift is not going to be... The city and Foster Swift are divorcing, for lack of a better term. Right. Which gets us into a tricky spot because in August of 2021, that is three months shy of a council election. And that basically sticks us into, this is now going from August 2021 to November 2nd, 2021. They go into a holding pattern where Foster Swift remains the city attorney. Once their contract expires, I believe the way it was provisioned in the contract is that they just would stay on on a monthly Mm-hmm. uncapped basis so presumably charging lots of money for their legal representation and the idea and i'm kind of curious to pass this to both of you was that the council that existed in august which was going to be different from the council that existed after the election shouldn't hire a city attorney that's mostly going to be working with the newly formed council and i kind of this kind of i think swept by us in the moment but I think that was a that was kind of the key decision that led to the whole take it slow sort of ethos that governed this process, I think. Yeah, and I think I'm more sympathetic to counsel in the city standpoint as we're reflecting on it. And I think we should make sure the listeners know that three out of five council members come September 2021 were appointed and not elected. When uh, Ruth Beyer and Mark Meadows resigned, then you had Dana Watson and Ron Bacon appointed. Aaron Stevens. Since been reelected. Right. And they've since been reelected this November. And then you had Mayor Aaron Stevens leave and Shauna Draheim, who had been on council previously, kind of pinch hit for him. About six, well, it's like six weeks she was on council. Yeah. So that also might have been a strange position particularly for Shauna, that she was just filling oh, in. Yeah. Oh, and I, I understand her being in the position of not wanting to do anything more than just kind of be the fifth vote that council right. for a couple weeks and get out of the way. Al, this was around when you stepped into the process. I guess what was your kind of first takeaway, if I can bring you back to this October yeah. 2021 or so. This was kind of the first thing that I started covering with council with East Lansing Info. Um, so it was definitely really interesting for me. I learned a lot, um, but I I get that they didn't start the process with the August council um, because at the the way it went, they would have had to con- you know not voted. With that exact same council, they would have had to, you know, continue the conversation after November 2nd, regardless, as we see that it lasted another, what, four months after that? Yeah. Well, in thinking about it now, they might have started down the road and 
August, September, going, oh, we kind of like these five firms. Council changes and then comes back and you have three new members. They go, why would you hire these firms? Yeah. So you could just, you know, it could have worked, I guess, if you went ahead. But you also could have just wasted three months when you could have been doing other things that they did. And putting out an RFP and the process of vetting, I think, also could cost the city money yes. as well and also valuable time when council has to address other issues for the community. Also that the RFPs actually moves me to my next thing and this is coming back to some of your reporting Al is you had an ask Eli in I believe it was early December but it covered sort of the things that had happened with the city attorney search between November the November election and basically the beginning of December and Effectively, what had happened is the RFP had gone out or was ready to go out, and then the idea of splitting the roles first came up, and that was another thing that kind of delayed everything. Can you just take me through, I know that's months ago, but can you just kind of take me through how they were on the precipice of getting the RFPs and just hiring another city attorney, and then maybe we should split the roles and how that kind of came to be? Yeah, I can't remember exactly whose idea that was originally. I believe it was Lisa Babcock. It's okay. become attributed to her down the line, okay. so I'm sticking with that. Um, but, yeah, they wanted to break up the prosecutorial role and the um, council role for the city attorney. And once they decided to do that, it became a whole thing of, do we have two separate RFPs? We already have some people submitting stuff. And so they did end up beginning to break it up and allow people to apply for both roles and separately. So they did an addendum to the original RFP, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, And so that allowed for people to, um, if somebody's already started the process, to to continue or for others to to do it. So yeah, that's what they did. And that led to the next, what I just said, four months before, you know, last couple weeks ago that they finally... um, signed a contract with got people hired yeah, yeah. Roles. well and that brings up i think the that point or that the the splitting of the roles is i think other than a new city attorney is easily the biggest change that has come out of all of this and the biggest difference that we'll notice i think and we'll we'll have a sort of it's a policy change in city hall fundamentally is what it is because previously tom yaden and aaron housefield who is sort of the assistant city attorney that was it more or less, and you can give some other work, would go out to the McGinty firm and stuff. But I think there's a value to having two separate legal entities. And, you know, I think we'd be naive to think there's not going to be any overlap between the work the municipal council does and the work the prosecutor does. Obviously, they're unique jobs, but I'm certain that policy and municipal advice that's given to council will affect the way prosecutions are done and prosecutorial work can have an effect on the way ordinances or whatever are drafted and so on and so forth to me it seems like east lansing moving more towards being a big city and less of being a college town if that makes sense because i think it's recognizing that the the role of doing prosecutions in 54b and the role of advising the city legally are big enough such that they warrant their own position effectively is that normal? Is that for larger towns? Is that something not indicative? that I'm aware of? I think this is a kind of unique situation. Okay. I know you're not supposed to use the word unique in journalism, but it kind of is. And I, I'm not familiar with other ones. I can't pretend that I have this deep archival knowledge of other city attorneys. But my understanding is that this is a pretty unique 
or sort of one-off scenario, at least in Michigan in the area. And I, I suppose there's a, a question about how it comports with the city charter, because the city charter kind of says a city attorney, not city attorneys, but mm. it clearly has not become a problem. Well, it's interesting with the plural, I guess, to do semantics is there's almost always been more than one city attorney. Well, if you're hiring a firm, right. you're hiring a group of people. Because yeah. we had Laura Genovich and then was Mike the Homier, council. and Easterly. Right. right. And then Easterly was doing the prosecutorial. So you would have one firm asking multiple people to do the work. So I could appreciate where council's coming from of maybe one firm can offer this service better and the oh, other yeah. this. Well, the, the functional reality for how the city functions won't be any different. You know, right. And a prosecutor, I, a city attorney, email them. Yeah. So this system to me was confusing because I grew up in a larger city where you had a prosecutor. They were probably and, either elected or appointed. Or, right. You know. And then you would have counsel for the government who were probably hired and they might have contracted with law firms. So I think to your point, Andrew, this is maybe East Lansing changing in some way and i think there is also two other unique things at play that tie into some of your reporting is the city is grappling with how to deal with students in terms of prosecution if you urinate in public or you're intoxicated in public i think the city's questioning giving that those students a record that could follow them for the rest of their lives yeah, does a 20 year old who pees in a bush deserve to be on the sex offender registry is a Fair question, right? Because uh, you could be on that for decades, and that could bar you Forty-five, from... if you right? Did it when you're twenty, yeah. And then the other thing is, East Lansing since 2020 has re-examined how it would like to police as well. So I think those factors have played into the decision as well. Yeah, and I think specifically who they hired too, and we can get more into that mm. later. So they're going to split the roles. This moves the process from 2022, 2021 into now. 2022 and they get through interviews and they get through interviews and they get through interviews and then they finally move to hiring and now we can kind of get into the discussion of the whole process because i think it's kind of hard to recap interviews here because emily you and i attended them al i believe you mm -hmm. attended the gmh one correct the following week and they I, there was just not that much to report from them they were kind of these by rote question and answer <laughs> sessions and Council took what they took and ended up deciding on hiring Giamarco Mullins and Horton to be the municipal legal advisors. And they hired Robert Easterly Law, so basically Robert Easterly in a private practice, to be the prosecutor. I'll start, I think we should start with Easterly because that's sort of more <laughs> ripe ground for discussion because he was already the city's prosecutor in effect. And he was with Foster Swift. And by most accounts was doing a pretty good job in council's eyes. I know Lisa Babcock is a very big fan of his, and that became clear throughout the process. I guess it kind of makes sense to hire the prosecutor you already had if you like him and he's willing to keep doing the job. No? And they also had asked him to start tracking certain data so council can make decisions on policing and prosecution and I think there was the idea of maybe continuity. That I think he came before council in October 2021 and was given directives about what he might pay attention to. So it could make sense if you just tasked this man with this huge doing project this to let, let him, him do keep it. Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so does he still work for Foster Swift? That is an 
excellent question mm-hmm. that I don't have an entirely clear answer to. I remember asking Foster Swift that when his application or, or response to the RFP first came in, and it was Easterly Law, PLLC, I believe was the official name. So it's private practice, and that would indicate to me that he's left Foster Swift, because it seems like who has time to work at a large law firm and run a private practice? That, that seems insane yeah, to none me. None of us maybe are the experts, too, on did he incorporate or like yeah, get I, the business started, but he hasn't. I don't know the ins and outs of that particularly. I would assume he's probably not with Foster Swift anymore, but that is an assumption and not something that I know for sure. Right. So he had been and then he his new contract is with his own firm, but we'll discuss the contract, I yeah. guess. That's actually a good lead into it is so Easterly was paid they went with the three hundred sixty thousand dollar flat, flat rate. rate. Yes. So Easterly is being paid in a three hundred sixty thousand dollar flat rate. So basically oh I'm blanking on math. Twenty thousand dollars a month. There it is. Yes. And that's Seems, I don't know, that seems about right to me. I'm no expert, but they were paying $500,000 capped, not for prosecution with Foster Swift. The prosecution was uncapped, I believe, under that agreement. And so it's hard to say now that they might save or they might spend more money. I don't think that's really clear, but it seemed like a pretty reasonable rate and we can talk about why they didn't go with the hourly rate (laughs) i to the point about the flat rate i think good arguments were articulated in favor of it you know what you're Um, paying and that's just a very secure you can budget with that you can right because it was going to be i think 145 dollars an hour capped at 380 i believe so yes and ron bacon brought up the point of you know, what if there was some event downtown that led to a lot of arrests and therefore prosecutions? This could actually be a cost-saving measure. And Lisa Babcock pointed out, Easterly is going to probably ask paralegals to do work and you have to keep up your bar dues and subscriptions he, to things like Westlaw. people and spending money to do this work. Right. He is not walking home with $20,000 in his pocket. Good for him if he figured out a way to do that, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> So the reason they didn't go with the 145 an hour is not so much that I think there was a particular opposition to 145 an hour being some exorbitant rate. They paid 135 an hour in the Giamarco contract for all attorneys. So basically, the Giamarco contract is $135 an hour. That's the contract. There's no cap. There's no. It's just if we do an hour of work, it costs you $135. The option in Easterly was they could have done the same thing, capped at 380, like you said, Emily for $145 an hour, but there was a lack of clarity between the city manager and Easterly and city council when they were first discussing the contract, which led to the final delay in the whole process, which brought us into late March. And basically, the contract came before council. It had $145 as an hourly rate in the like written in the proposed contract. City manager George Lahanis said the hourly rate that Easterly had verbally agreed to with Lahanis $135 an hour, which council did not really seem to believe at the time and did not just want to take on its word. As I believe Lisa Babcock said something along the lines of, you know, I know Easterly to be a pretty good lawyer and I don't think he would put the wrong number in a proposed think, contract mm-hmm. coming before us. I think she called him a button up kind of guy. A buttoned up, <laughs> buttoned up was used. You are correct. <laughs> And he is, from 
all accounts. He's a pretty sharp, you know, uh, minds his P's and Q's. And lo and behold, they waited and said, you know, city manager, can you go and double check, come back, make sure we know exactly what the hourly rate is. And George Lahanis, who had said that Easterly had verbally agreed to 135, came back two weeks later when the contract was up and said he had not because he hadn't. And it was $145 an hour. So Lahanda said that was due to some confusion about what Giamarco had been negotiated down to. And he had asked Easterly, which he would be okay with, 135 or 145. And it wasn't clear which Easterly had chosen. Yeah. So I, I don't know the exact machinations of how the city manager dealt with Easterly versus GMH. But it does seem like there was a difference in sort of scrutiny or follow-up or I'm sort of struggling yeah. to come up with the right term but of just everything was pretty much ironclad set up good to go with GMH and then it came to seem that the Easterly contract was like just not reviewed and put through the same scrutiny it felt like. Yeah so I think it's worth pointing out to our listeners that both the GMH contract and Easterly's came before council at the same time originally yes. in February. Late February yep. But because there was this confusion over the 135 and 145, Easterlies got delayed. There was a week when there wasn't a council meeting. Then I believe Mayor Ron Bacon was not at the March 8th meeting. Correct. So then this also got put to the, I guess it was March 15th meeting. And it was discussion only was what it was billed. So GMH was not there because there shouldn't technically be too many procedural issues. And it came up about the confusion. I think the city manager said he said to Easterly, would you match GMH? And he said yes. But it was kind of a who's on first situation right. of they didn't understand the same price for GMH. But there also was this other issue, which is seems unusual being both contracts went before council initially at the same time that GMH had been vetted by Keller Tama, the, the labor yeah. firm that the city uses. The city has so many contracted law firms and we're just on the edge of knowing who all of them right. are. <laughs> one day. Um, but no one seemed to have vetted Easterlies. And this became a point of contention at the March 15th meeting because George Brookover, the council member who's also a an attorney by trade, had concerns about things that I think are above the layperson's understanding about liability and indemnification and subcontracting work. So then this led to council provisionally approving the contract with possibly GMH looking at it, it I think seems it seems that way. Yeah. Right. Because they had pitched Keller Tama, but Keller Tama bills at 175 an hour for most of their attorneys and GMH is billing at 145. But Dana Watson pointed out it's weird that they were moving through at the same time, but then the person who because of the city's missteps is now going to vet Easterly's contract didn't seem particularly fair to her. Uh, yeah, and I think she she raises a fair point of it's kind of weird if you were sitting next to somebody applying for similar jobs and told like, yeah, you're both going to get it, and then they get it and at the like are also part of your hiring process. Right, like somebody who is in a hiring process alongside of you becoming part of your hiring process at the eleventh hour is odd, if nothing else. I think that's just unusual, and 
I think Dana's point just about the sort of propriety of it all is very fascinating to me because I don't know. I don't think lawyers care that much. I guess like I think from my experience, most of them was just like happy to get the contract reviewed and get it approved because they know what is in there and what I guess like whatever's whatever Brookover might be concerned about. I have to imagine that Easterly's considered it. Right. And maybe it's just wording needs to be finesse. And I appreciate your point about for lawyers, perhaps this is just business. But I think this is maybe the time to tie in Mayor Ron Bacon's points, which is there is doing business. But is the council chamber the point to hash it out? I was at that meeting and it was uncomfortable because I was two seats behind Mr. Easterly. There's all these comments about the contract and the process. Councilmember Brookover did vote against it. And I will say he went and shook Easterly's hand after. And I saw yeah. them speaking after. Yeah. So to your my, point my about understanding lawyers. Is Brookover is fine with Easterly being the prosecutor. His issue was with that specific proposed contract. Right. And there was the issue of the nitty gritty should have been worked out by the city any concerns they had well before March 15th at that council meeting. And I think the mayor held the city accountable and is looking to really solidify and come up with a formal written process. Gotcha. Yeah, that strikes me too, because I think members of this council have effectively gone through, most of them at least, have gone through now two city attorney searches. Actually, all of them, because Brookover was in the search for the original (laughs) one. Um, So, you know, having gone through it two times and seeing none of these people had really hired a city attorney before. No one in the city of East Lansing had really hired a city attorney before because it had just been Tom Yates and the McGinty firm for years and years and years. And so to me, it's a reflection of the process kind of getting a little sideways at the end here. And I don't think when you sort of consider what happened that any third-party observer wouldn't say things could have been done a little bit better, I would hope. But I think the overall point of there's just been a lot learned from this about how you want to handle hiring attorneys, how you want to handle that negotiation process, vetting things, timeline of considerations. So I am curious to see if there is some, some sort of written policy about how the city goes about hiring city attorneys going forward. But I don't know that that's actually going to happen. And speaking of that, when will that happen again? How long are the contracts that they just... I believe they are one year. I have not one year. Okay. Actually, so they will. I have not we will actually s- looked at them super closely. I we will admit. see them potentially renegotiate with each I, of these. I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. And I'll go back to my initial point that the McGinty firm had this contract for decades And then you have a new council that doesn't maybe have the institutional memory. But I don't even know if some of the veterans would remember negotiating the initial McGinty contract, frankly. So I think it is nothing malicious was done. It was just this is a new process. Right. And it's something that's totally unfamiliar. I I meet from the city manager on down to council members. And, you know, it's just something you got to figure out how to do. And one last point, Emily, you and I noticed this because we were at council last night. I knew you were going to bring it up. (laughs) The city attorney intervened and made them do some things right, which is something we haven't seen in a good long while. And not to say that, you know, Foster Swift was just like letting horrible violations and nothing that happened under Foster Swift counts or something like that. Like they didn't they weren't, you know, 
asleep at the switch or anything like that. But you know the the new attorney for GMH. I cannot remember his his first name, but it's Mister. I think it was Anthony. Something Clark. I know that. And they went to do a vote, and they tried to do a voice vote when it had to be roll call, and he just was like, "Oh, that needs to be a roll call vote." They did a roll call vote. He caught them on some other things about like closing public hearings, and it was just like, ah, active city attorney. So that was uh, a nice kind of new phenomenon to check out at the most recent council meeting. So we are out of time here, and this has been a lovely conversation. So Al, thank you for joining. I know this has been kind of a off and on covered subject for you and not something that you're entirely perfectly versed in. So I appreciate you coming and sharing what you have to share. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And Emily, of course, just dishing on <laughs> what has become a month long. Nobody believed me when it started that I said this was going to last until 2022. And lo and behold. I remember fact checking one of your headlines and counting the months. I'm like, it's plausible. I'll let it run. There we go. And you underestimated. <laughs> All right. This has been another episode of the East Lansing Insider brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89 FM. My name is Andrew Graham, and thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.